coming on my sixth year. And it seems like the things that we was doing before I got married is like decreasing. So how can I find a way to lift these things up? Because now I kind of think marriage is false advertising. Because, okay. I mean, not to put my wife on blast or myself on blast, but just to share this with you because you asked if I had a question. Yeah. I'm, I'm really fighting this. But, um, you know, I don't understand, like, you know, do marriage have to be a way of how we think it should be or it should be the way how we want it to be? That's a great question. Thank you. That's a great question. See, I come with my thoughts, but I want to hear your thoughts. Sometimes I know, I, you got notes, you can just read that and I can go home, praise God. But what's on your mind? I, I, first of all, let me say, I admire the courageous way you presented that. That was packaged well. Um, it was really packaged well. I like the way you said it. First of all, marriage is really not falsely advertised. It's misunderstood. Because we have a disagreement doesn't mean we don't love each other. It means we disagree. Period. That's all it means. And you don't know whether you agree with somebody about money until your money is mixed with their money. And before you're married, your money is not mixed with their money. <laughs> See? Um, single people think they understand sexual intimacy, but they, 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 I mean, you know, all this peeking and checking and feeling guilty. So when you're married, it's all legal, and now we don't have any, we don't have an event. We have a lifestyle. It's one thing to drive, to test drive a car. It's another thing to own the car. <laughs> so is it false advertisement because the car drove good on the test drive but don't drive as good <laughs> when, <laughs> when you own the car <laughs> sometimes it's spurters sometimes it don't work sometimes it don't crank okay anyway <laughs> y'all making me blush anyway uh, <clears throat> I mean, it's, it's not false advertisement. <laughs> it's just owning the car. You know, the children are great. So cute, this is cute. They just use their head, just vibing until you tell her something. She don't want to hear. And a little attitude come out. And then you have to now adjust. And that's not false advertisement. Kids are great. They are still a heritage from God. It's just more than you knew. This job is great. I just love being a pastor. Uh, didn't ask to be one, but I is one. <laughs> I mean that sincerely. I really, I probably would have been in business or something or some, something. But this side of it is one thing. But well, this is 20, what percentage, uh, those who work with me, what percentage of my job is this? Daryl, what percentage? Um, what? Maybe 20, 25? What do you say? 10%? Uh, Diane, what do you say? 
10. What's the other 90? Lord Jesus. <clears throat> Management, facilities, buildings, staff, budgets. Um, preparing for this all week long. Hours of work and study and reading. Ricky says, uh, your life is one big term paper. But I love it. So I'm saying it's more to it. So about false advertisement, uh, if you judge my job by just this, yeah. But I didn't tell you that. You just assumed it. So a lot of times in marriage, you find out that you assumed a lot of things. And now that you've got to pay the price for it, you want to blame God, her, you know, but it's caught growing up. It's the difference between living on the first floor, second floor, third floor, 10th floor, 50th floor, 80th floor. You know, when you, um, <laughs> when you have to climb, you have to work. And that's what you're doing. So, here, sir, is to your future marriage and your climb. She's nice. My question to you, mm -hmm. I know that you're a father and you're also a grandfather. Yes, I am. Is the love of a grandchild different from the love of just being a father? Because I'm a grandparent and I think that like the most, it's so hard to describe to me, it's the most incredible thing to me. Yeah. And I just wanted to know if you thought that there was different type of love altogether being a grandfather. You mess with me, aren't you? Just trying to mess with me. Just trying to see where I'm at. Yeah. No, I'm not. Yeah, thank you. <laughs> well, good question. Um, yeah, you know, I call it GP juice, grandparent juice. Um, when you look at, when I look at Milani and I see a generation I've never felt that. I, you know, this is an extension. When Ricky, Ricky said something to her the other day, he said, you see grandpops? You see? The way he says it to her about me, the way Diane says it, the way they say it, makes me special. The other day, and she's not walking yet, but we're trying to get her to walk, and so she has this little walker thing and this was a couple of days ago, and so she put her hand on it, and she walks with it, but she's holding on, right? And so Diane said, where's Grandpa's? And I was in Ricky's house, but I was in his office. And when I, um, she walked to where I was, the door was closed, dropped to the crawl, and crawled to the door. I said, now you know you all right. <laughs> You just think to yourself, wow, that's like, you know where I am at, little girl. At, and she'll be a year next month. So I thought, she's a genius. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, 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 it is, it is different. I mean, it's, it's but, I, but the biggest thing for me is, and this is just my thought, I don't ever want my kids to think that I value her, or however many I, I get to have, 
more than I value the people who gave me these grandchildren. I, I don't want to, I, I know it's a funny joke, I wish I had grandchildren first, but I don't want I'm not going to ever say that because I really don't want them to feel, I appreciate my kids and the love I have for my kids um, is, um, she just compounds it. So with her, I get a double dose. So that's, that's my short answer. Thank you for asking the question. When we, is, we as men, will begin to take the forefront in making Your, your a, question is, when will men begin to take the forefront? Yes, in this particular time, when we take and promote the gospel to the streets. I'm talking about, I'm talking about full force. I'm talking so about, your question is, when will men begin to do that? Yes, I, I, as it uh, come together um, for our young people. Let me, let me say this for a second. People, Thank period. You. Thank you. I, I, you know, I don't, I, I, a lot of times, nobody's kind of hindering us. We just have to do it. And I think you do it individually. You know, I try to uh, encourage men to, in their world, for example, I take charge with Ricky my son and I take charge with my granddaughter my daughter Christina I take charge with Diane I take charge with the people I, I touch and I know I see guys all the time so I don't I'm not waiting for a bunch of guys to gather around me to do something I kind of I kind of get them to do what I'm doing I'm very very engaging um, uh, I love the email thing people email me pastor at overcomingbyfaith.org it's such a cool thing and I, I, I talk to, I engage guys, I engage young people, teenagers. And so if I get you to do that with me, there's two people doing it. And if we get three people, then we get together that way. Um, so I, I see it that way. Jesus touched the world by touching 12 guys, one at a time, three guys intimately. This idea of trying to get mass groupings together is not the way to do it. It's one-on-one. -on -one. Can we say one-on-one? -on -one? One -on -one. So find one guy. Watch this. How many of you know one guy who's hurting who needs a good friend? Raise your hand. How many of you know one guy? Come on, put your hands up high. We'll go help them. Thank you. That's it. That's the mob right there. Yeah. You go help that one person you know. Somebody else have a question, something you're wondering about. So I want to ask the pastor this question. Something on my mind, something I just want to talk about. Right here, on the side, right here. Hello, sir. How are you? Welcome to our church today. Good to see you. Tell him your name, too, by the way. Yes, good evening. My name is Josie Shepard. Right. I want to know how do we engage our young people more? Uh, thank you. I, you know, I don't, I don't think that, um, well, I'm telling you, what the first, thank you I, for the question. Uh, I, can I, I didn't mean to No, no, you didn't do anything. No, you're fine. Thank you for the question. I, what I'm pained about is what I thought first. We don't care about young people. That's my first thought. I was trying to dress it up, but it didn't come out right. So, I know I, I, I think churches struggle with young people um, because young people don't like our format. It's too formal, uh, too suity. Even though I'm a suit guy, I like suits. I just do, you know. But I like casual too. But I just think we, as a culture, have not been as embracing to kids and youth. And it shows in our attendance. It shows in a number of ways. The average age in our church is 31, which is pretty cool. I'm 58, so I'm proud of that. But I think that 
that's because there's a lot of effort given to embracing where they are. And I think that the only way you change that is by not lecturing, but by doing. For example, if I spend a lot of time saying, something wrong with young men. Okay, well, what young man are you helping? People need to go to college. Well, what college book have you bought for any college student? I didn't say pay for tuition, I said buy a book. So I think because people feel you really don't care, and what's really tragic is the millennials who are coming behind us, uh, they really don't think we care. They think church is irrelevant, pastors are irrelevant. They think that we're just not genuine. Um, we don't like to be questioned. We don't like dialogue. We want to get up and preach at people, highlight flaws. So if you're going to care about young people, you got to care about their issues, care about where they are, spend time with them. I'm always amazed by this. People tell me, I want to work with the youth, but they, they never do. They don't come to any youth gatherings. They don't come to any events. They'll ask me to volunteer with the youth, but never go to one youth anything. And I say to myself, you don't like young people. Because if you like young people, you'd be around young people. I went to Gatorland. You ever been to Gatorland? Gatorland's amazing in Florida. Uh, and I like, I like stuff like that. And, and, and these guys like gators, the guys who work there. You gotta see them feeding them and stuff. I thought, wow, I never dreamed this dream. <laughs> and I think if you like something, you get around it. Wildlife, kids, whatever it is. So I think that's how you help kids. Hang around them, love them, spend time with them. Tell me your thoughts on um, prayer for healing. And I'll put it in context. I um, have an aunt who uh, has metastatic cancer. Say, say it again so I can hear you. I have an aunt who has metastatic cancer, so it's spread everywhere. Medically, I know, you know where things are going, but spiritually, I'm afraid of, of, of what's happening to her. And on the one hand, I, I pray, but on the other hand, I feel nervous about praying for healing because, you know, what if she isn't healed? And then, you know, what does that mean? And, you know, you just sort of back and forth, spiritually, medically, where, where things are. So what are your thoughts on, you know, prayer for healing? We did that to you. We created that confusion for you. And I apologize for all the religious teaching that did that to you. I believe in healing, but I also believe in death. I believe in life but I believe in the end. I pray for healing until I die. But when it's time for me to die, party. Let them tell me I'm dying. I'm gonna tell y'all now, we gonna dance. I'm gonna cut me on something. I don't know what I'm gonna cut on. I'm gonna cut me on something. Let's see what I'm gonna cut on right now. Cut me on something. Something jamming going on here. Give me something jamming. Make y'all real nervous here. That's <laughs> Rick's going out in style. Hmm. Tell me that I'm dying. First of all, I'm gonna pray to live. Come on, say amen. amen. The problem is I can't see the thing. Lord Jesus, hold on. <laughs> Back up. <laughs> Man, please, what, when, why in the world, why in the world would I, yeah, I couldn't see what I was doing. 
Um, yeah, there you go. I, I, I just, I'm just not going to be sad. I'm just going to be happy because you know what I believe? My God is able to bless me. And it's a specific one I want to play. I, I'm going to get to what I want to play. Because I, I, I said this. I talked to somebody the other day about me dying. And I said, um, I said, you know, I'm just not going. I'm just not going. I'm not going to be frustrated. Act like, act like you don't know the song. Thank you very much. I deal with death every week because in my job, I deal with weddings, funerals, births, and I watch families deal with it. Because I deal with it so much, I, I, I get to see, I compare. One group falls apart, one group parties, one group never gets over. I'm just not doing that. I'm not, I'm not going I went to uh, see a guy named Rodney. He died in our church. He died. He, he was in a hospice. And um, I walked in and said, Rodney, you look wonderful. He said, you lying, preacher. <laughs> I said, well, you look awful. <laughs> you look like you died. He said, I am. Come on, say, I believe, I believe in, life, in life. But I also believe, believe in afterlife. afterlife. I have a future beyond this sickness. I will not allow myself to die before I die but I will not allow myself I will not allow myself to run from God's season in my life if I live I live I'm with Christ if I die I die I'm with Christ amen come on say amen come on I live My question is, right now, I'm, I'm keeping up with politics so much right now in this political arena right now. Let me drink something. Hold on for a second. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I need some backup for that one. Go, ahead. Go for it, man. Go for it, Doc. Yes. Um, it just seems like our country is getting more and more divided, not just on black and white issues, but all across yeah. the way. Are, are these just signs of the times? Or are there something that we personally need to actually join in and try to do something? Warren Buffett made a comment that I just think applies across the board in a lot of ways. He said, you don't, <laughs> excuse me, you don't know who's naked until the tide goes out. All right. <laughs> you don't know who's naked until the tide goes out. People be hiding underwater. Hey! <laughs> you think they got clothes on, but when the tide goes out, you go, oh! Um, we we are heavily influenced by what we see, what we are told. Um, let me just run through a list for a minute, okay? <clears throat> Politics is viewed from where you sit. Your political position. If you are a person who immigrated here and you have you see these flags? 
All these flags are people from different countries who immigrated here. Their view of immigration may be a little different than yours. If you've never lived in a place with no hope, how far would you go if you had no hope? What law would you break? I'm not saying it's right. I'm just asking you a question. Politics, if you're a black person, you view it from where you are. If you're a white person, if you're an Asian person, if you are a woman, if you're a man, if you're gay, straight, wherever you are, you view it from where you are as a person. And you try to convince, the word politic means to convince. So you try to convince people win them over to your persuasion. Here's where politics becomes divisive. When I don't respect your politic. And where you are. I didn't say I agree with it. I didn't say I'm there. I'm just saying you are a person who has no money. I may have more money, so I need to, in my politic, understand your politic. Does that make sense? And if I do, is there a place we can meet in the middle? That's what's missing. Can I say what I want to say? Yeah. <clears throat> Some black people are crazy. Some white people are crazy. Can we keep going? <clears throat> How many of you know at least one crazy woman? <laughs> All you brothers put your hands down. <laughs> A lot of brothers. I know some. How many of you women know one crazy man? <laughs> what I'm saying is, okay, so crazy comes in all colors. The problem is when we don't have respect for where we are. Women being underpaid for the same work. If a person, oh, I'm going to step into this and step right out of it. Ah, oh, Jesus. Temple, here you go. <clears throat> I'm get. I'm. I'm. Oh, that's it. No, I'm straight. <laughs> That'd mess up your life, wouldn't you? <laughs> I'm straight. Always have been. <laughs> but I know a lot of people who are not, and they don't plan to change to that. So what do we do? See, see, here's my point. See, here's, here's where I deal with the reality of the world I work in. If you are living with someone and you're not married, I don't think you should do that. But you disagree, so now what do we do? You're my cousin. You're my nephew. You're my friend. What do we do? I don't think you should have sex and you're not married. Okay, you disagree, so now what do we do? Fight over it? We find a middle ground somewhere. We find some place we can all live in the same world because we all live here. The problem is when I think something and I don't agree with you, so I'm gonna come, I'm gonna kick you in your door and make you like me. It's when I'm unfair. It's when we, we okay, I mean, at some point, 
it's when everybody kind of thinks about this thing again and we think about the bigger issue. And so, yeah, it's a sign of the last days and times. But, but it feeds on an arrogant assumption that I can force you. And it, it, it really works against what God wants to do. God's really big on free will. You read the Bible, you figure that out. You get to disagree with him. And he doesn't kill you right away. <laughs> he kind of lets you decide, do you want to do it or not do it? And I think somehow there's this thing that people forget in politics. They're just mean to each other. No one's trying to find a solution. They're trying to beat each other. But when it's all said and done, and they get through arm wrestling and name calling, we all need each other. And to me, that's, that's what you state your issues, say what you believe, and let's find a way to meet in the middle. It's called bipartisanship. White people need black people, black people need white people, Asian people need Asian people, everybody need everybody, everybody need everybody, everybody need everybody. Americans need the world. How could you dare think, if you're 300 plus million people, that you can control six billion? Dare you think that your country is the only country and the best country in the world and there's nobody better, really? Really? One more time, really? There you believe that you, you, you know everything about everybody. Everybody should speak English. Really? You really think that way? Everybody's not African American. Everybody's not. The world doesn't care about our issues. They don't even know our history, a lot of them. And so, broaden your mind. Reach past what you know. Grow. So, long answer, but you got the point? Thank you. Um, what separates a husband and wife and their relationship with God? You know, go to the same church, raise the same children, read the Bible, but you praise different, you worship different, you have different views. What separates a husband and a wife and their relationship with God? Immaturity. They have to just grow up. Had to be big boys and big girls. Had to face the truth. Drop bad habits. What we did before, we're not going to do again. If you don't, it'll keep you separate. Hope that helps. So, for a long time, we, as the young, we hear, you know, if you want to do something in life, if you want to go somewhere, you got to put God first. But it's really a struggle. My question is, what does that really mean to put God first? That's it. You know, it's, it's uh, thank you for the way you said that. I, it, what, 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 the Bible says, seek ye first the kingdom of God, and all these things will be added unto you. What it means is, the word kingdom means rulership. Seek God's rulership first in your life. I want him. His will, not my will, to be done first. So what it means is, 
when I'm deciding who I'm going to date, I check his standards, look at her looks. She don't meet the standard. Even though you got the looks, the kingdom said no. Because you're going to change my values. You're going to drag me to a path I don't need to be on. When I'm angry, I want to cuss you out. Check, check with him. He say, hold that peace. I don't cuss you out. <laughs> you, you see what I'm saying? Putting God first means check with him first. And then decide. You know, it, it's, what would Jesus do? <laughs> Real simple. So I hope that helps, buddy. Hope you see that, you know. Let me check. Sometimes you forget to check. <laughs> I understand that part. Uh, my question is, what do you tell someone who can't let go of things that happened in the past? You know, if I hurt you 15 years ago, I can't tell you, or if I know somebody hurt you 15 years ago, I can't tell you to let that go. I can't tell you when to stop hurting. I know you can't go back 15 years ago and talk to that person and find out why, but what do you say to someone to let all that go, and how do they begin to let those things go? I just ask them, how's it working for them? Is it working for you, you know, holding on to stuff? Yeah. There's, there's great healing and strength and stepping over stuff. My wife is really good at that. She steps over stuff real fast. Most things. I mean, she, she, she doesn't like lying, doesn't know like cheating. She has a list of like really bad things you can do. But I've watched her step over things and that's just a, a really good discipline. And I, and I really believe it just doesn't work. The Bible says it also hinders me. So I give you power in my life when I hold on to it. And so I choose not to give people that kind of power. You know. But I had somebody come to me tell me, you know, I forgive you. And she says, I've been mad with you for 15 years. It was a long time. She says, 10 years, long time. I said, what's your name? <laughs> I didn't even know her name. And she, that's, and she thought I said something. And I've had a number of people feel that way, be mad with me, um, members, ex -members. And I, I just, you know, I feel for them because I, 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 I refuse to hold anything against anybody. I let, just let it go. And I have reasons. I have my reasons. I could hold a grudge. Uh, matter of fact, my family has a PhD in that. I can hold a grudge. <laughs> some of them, I got, I'm telling you, now, I can name some stories. I mean, I, but it doesn't work for me. It don't pay. Nothing goes in my bank account. So I choose to forgive. And, and the Bible says this. It's a, very, it's a very sneaky principle. The Bible said if I'm kind to you, it's like pouring hot coals on your head anyway. So I choose to let you go, love you, and, and walk past it and be free. And, and then I also, what I've seen more than anything is redemption. I've seen God redeem relationships where things really went bad and that we had a reason to hold the grudges, and I've seen it get better. Did I kind of answer your question? So Steve was so upset. Steve Harvey. Okay. Yeah. That they wouldn't serve gays. Mm -hmm. But my opinion is different. As you know, a sin is a sin. But an abomination is 
Okay. So is fornication. Okay. So is uh, lying. So is stealing. All of that's an abomination. So you do marry gay couples? Oh no, no, because I don't believe that that biblically, biblically I have a, I draw a line, but I, I don't believe that there's a, there's a difference between what I would do and loving people. See, what I want to do is never communicate that a guy who's fornicated more than once or twice or ten times is better than somebody else who has another issue. What I believe is I have to first start with not the problem but with love. Jesus had a tremendous capacity to love people who were jacked up in his mind and not, not get lost. And so that's what I want to start with. I get, I get that, you know, and there's certain things that some people really have an angst about. And I respect that. But here's what I just said earlier. Um, thanks for the question, too. Oh, you're welcome. Um, I, if you have an opinion about a particular thing and I differ, we differ. Now what? Where can we meet in the middle? And to make everybody feel loved and cared about and respected. And here's what you find in family. When a family member will not change and you still got to deal with each other, that is what Jesus' love is all about. Finding that place to meet and not badger them over the head with your conviction or your view or your issue. Or, you know, I need to love people. So, thank you for the question. I, was, that, was that it? That was... I just wanted to get your opinion on uh, one of the scriptures in Ephesians 2.8 mm -hmm. talking about uh, that we're saved through God's grace by our faith but not by good work. Right. Do you think that someone can still say after they're saved that they're following Christ if they're not producing uh, fruits of the spirit and are doing good works? Well, I, I think so. Because, because Paul said the same thing in, in Galatians 6 uh, where he talked about uh, a brother's overtaken in a fault. A brother who's saved by grace can be overtaken with a fault. 1 John chapter 1, verse 7, 8, 9 talks about if we say we've not ever sinned, we're lying, not telling the truth. But if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us. Romans chapter 7 says, I desire to do good, but evil is always with me. I'm struggling, Paul said. I, I know what I should be doing, but my inward man is struggling. So I believe that a person can come to know Jesus, be sincere, and not have grown enough to overcome some issues in their life. But I, I think where, where, I, where, where I used to struggle is I felt like I needed to define that. So I need to say, at sin number two, your loss, or sin number seven, or failure number 10, I wanted to be able to mark off, if you do one more thing, you're not serious. But in reality, I've discovered people's issues go deeper than that. First of all, I'm not qualified to be in that discussion. Because Jesus said this, let the, let the wheat and the tare grow together. I will separate. You're not good at that. So what I do is, when I deal with people, and I see them struggling, and I, I believe in, Rome, in Ephesians 2, 8, 9, and I love the way you phrased that. That was well, well stated, my friend. You're saved by grace, not by works. I understand Romans chapter 6 says that just because I'm saved by grace doesn't give me a license to practice sin. I get that. But I also understand that I'm just not a good enough sin cop, sin investigator, to determine at what point the person's not sincere and they're faking. I'll leave that to him at Judgment Day, and he'll settle the issue. 
Hope you have that. Amen. Thank you. Thank you.